Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Jahan speaks on being generous with our time and our treasure. Man, you look good today. Aren't you thankful the sweet Holy Spirit is in this place? I am so thankful for the presence of God. I love all of you, but it wouldn't be worth it to keep coming here every week if he didn't come. Amen? You're great. You're just not him. (laughs) He's pretty great. Pastor is in Bolivia this morning um, with Pastor Lee and Pastor Steve and Lee from Glory Church. Uh, He said that it's been the smallest crusade they have uh, been a part of yet. I think the partnership there was not as um, wonderful as they had hoped it would be, but they were able, because the crowd was smaller, to really lay hands and pray on. Pray on. (laughs) Well, that's not what I meant to say. Pray with... (laughs) most of the people, so it's been really beautiful, he said, Um, but we missed him this morning, but we're covering him in prayer, amen? Amen, Amen. we're going to jump right in, I have no jokes for you today, sadness, mostly because I have a whole lot of other things I need to say, and I want to make sure that I allow for plenty of time. How many of you would say that you need God to do something impossible in your life. In, I mean, in just, it just one little pocket. Like, I, I, everything's good here, but that right there needs a miracle. Yeah? Most of us in the room? Um, I want to make a suggestion to you, and I, I want to take you to the word on it. I've been digging this out for a little bit. I want to suggest to you this morning that when we need God to bring redemption and breakthrough to our lives, which is all of us that just raised our hand. Uh, There is a way for us to access that. The pastor's been talking about what do we do when something is amiss, when something seems amiss, when God has made a promise and it's not yet lined up. And so I feel like what I'm sharing today is tagging on that maybe from a different angle. God had an impossible situation once. He made us and we surrendered all that he had given us to our enemy. And so there there needed to be a way for him to redeem us. And when we needed redemption, when we were on the other side of an impossibility, God did something. God gave. Let's go to John 3.16. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation, mostly because we're so familiar with other translations. Sometimes when you've read something 10 times, you can just drive right by it, right? Anybody else guilty of that? I'm sorry I sound like a dying frog. It just, it's September. I don't, I don't really know how to fix it, but I'm trying. Thank God I didn't have to sing today. <laughs> John 3, 16, for here is the way God loved the world. He gave. And he didn't just give, he gave his only 
unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. Let's go to Romans 8, 31, 32. Another familiar passage of scripture. How many of you said, well, if God is for me, who can be against me, right? Familiar passage of scripture. So what does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love. Say, he's proved his love. How did he prove his love? By giving us his most greatest treasure, the gift of his son. I love this. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. See, all through scripture, especially in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, God established this principle of first and giving and releasing what was most precious to you. But he led the way in that. From the foundations of the world, he led in giving what was most precious. He didn't wait to the end to give what was most precious. He didn't try and bargain and give what was least valuable in hopes that maybe that would get the job done. He gave the most precious thing first, which is a guarantee to us he'll withhold nothing else from us. John 3, 27, a person cannot receive any one thing unless God bestows it. The car you drove here today, the house you woke up in, the jeans you're wearing, the earrings in your ears, holla. The rings on your finger, the watches you wear, the hats you wear, the 35 outfits you had to choose from, the restaurants you ate at this week, the meals you cooked in your home, the job you wake up and go to, everything you have comes from him, period. Now God gives you the strength, he gives you the energy, he gives you the wherewithal, he gives you the brain power, he gives you the body, he gives you the opportunities. You actually have to get up and partner with him. But you're unable to partner with him unless he's doing his thing. Unless he's holding the world up with his hands and keeping everything spinning. I just want to remind you of that this morning. Because sometimes we get so indoctrinated and ingrained with the system around us that we're self-made people. But you just told me you needed breakthrough in at least one area of your life. You needed impossible. You needed redemption. And if God gets redemption to us by giving, I wanna suggest to you that we unlock redemption and breakthrough and miraculous by giving. What's good for the head is good for the body. No servant is greater than his master. The problem with this giving thing is this. You and I, unlike God, are born selfish. No, just me, just me. I'm the only one born selfish. Y'all looked like, she's not talking about me. 
I left my, oh there, I can get a new one. I don't need to get the mascara stained one in my seat. Thanks for making us ball our eyes out, worship team. Thanks for being anointed. I was like, well, this was not part of the plan today. Okay. You and I are born selfish. This is our sin nature. All right? I know we're born this way because I have a two-year-old. And no one ever taught him to be stingy with his toys. If someone goes to get something he's playing with, what does he say? It's mine. Right? And, and what's hilarious is I can make him release the toy. Like I can make him give the toy, but I can't change his heart posture. He'll give you the toy. He'll bonk you on the head with it. He'll surrender it to you. You know, fine. Mm. Give mommy the toy. Share with Jehu. Mm. Okay. That's not what I had in mind. Right? Sometimes that's what it looks like with us. You know, someone will teach or under compulsion will give. Religion tells us to give. Or maybe we grew up giving. It was modeled in front of us. And so we do it, but we don't do it with the right heart posture. Your heart posture matters to God in everything you do. So you and I are born selfish. And selfishness is actually the enemy of redemption getting to you. When you're self-inward focused. Because you're trying to stockpile and hoard up and self-preserve. But everything in the kingdom gets to you by giving. Everything. He set it up that way. He set it up that way for himself. So we're deceived when we think, I can do this my way, focus on me, pile up for myself, and get miraculous breakthrough, redemption, miracles, signs, wonders, supernatural provision. That stuff doesn't come That door stays locked, not because you need to earn it, but because the key to unlock it is giving. It's a principle in scripture. And so the enemy wants to keep you self-focused. He wants to keep you inward focused. But when you're born again, see, you're born selfish, but when you're born again, you're born generous. Philippians 2, 4 and 5, abandon every display of selfishness. I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about how you treat people, how you speak to people. It's not just about you. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. 
Well, John, if I don't worry about me and I don't take care of me and I take care of others, who takes care of me? It's a great question. Your father does. Because remember, you're not an orphan. You're the son and daughter of a king with limitless provision, limitless resources, limitless opportunities, ridiculous doors of opportunity, every relationship you could ever fathom, imagine, or dream of. He has it for you, but it's on the other side of you being generous and not selfish. James 3.16 says, wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many troubles and every kind of meanness. That word troubles there is chaos. I bet if I asked how many of you need chaos, more chaos, no one would raise their hand. You know, like, sign me up. Please make sure I'm number one on the list. No, no way. I need less chaos. May I suggest to you that maybe your world is so chaotic because you're so self-focused. Because it's about you. I don't bring you anything he hasn't brought to me. So I've been chewing on this stuff, going, ooh, that does not taste like chocolate cake, Lord. But see, I've been asking him for breakthrough. I've been asking him for miracles. I've been asking him for signs and wonders. I've been asking for a bigger building. I've been asking for more room. I've been asking God to do what's impossible for me to do. I've been asking for provision and resources that I can't muster up with if I work 90 hours a week. So my only option is do this on my own or do it his way. And his way means I release. I live with my hands open. I live aware of you and what you need and what God says I'm to give and to release. Not how do I make this work for me? What happens when we become a generous people is generosity breeds, not bleeds. Well, I mean, that'll work too, but generous. Some of you may feel like you're bleeding when you start to become generous, but generosity breeds blessing. And what does blessing bleed? Blessing means, what does blessing bleed? Wow, okay. Slow it down. Blessing means that things are planned for me, like supernatural, crazy stuff happens like it was planned for me. I need that. I need blessing. No one in here would say, I don't need miracles. Right? No one in here would say, I don't need breakthrough. No one in here would say, I don't need provision. Right? So let me ask you a question. Let me give you an example, okay? If there were money boxes on the back wall right there, and that's how you deposited you're giving. Most of us give online, right? Most of us are like, mm, swipe, type it in. 
or becoming cashless. That's another story. Okay, so let's just say, or let's say someone puts money in the, in the bucket and they're passing it. Um, who in here would take that money out of the bucket or pull it from the box in the back and put it in your pocket? Why? Why not? That's ridiculous, right? Let me just, I'm just trying to help us understand how deceived we are, right? How, how we can get so inward focused and think that, that God makes an exception because he understands what I'm, I'm walking through. No, his word is the word. He expects us to line up with it. No one in here would take the $100 bill out and say, thanks, God, that was amazing. I needed that, right? Then why do we, as a people, withhold the tithe? What's the difference? Because the tithe, according to the word, is not according to the law. It was determined before the law. It's a kingdom principle, and I don't have time to unpack all that, but there's a teaching online about it from about a year ago. It's his. The Bible actually says it is mine. He actually says that it belongs to him. He says it's holy. And it's set apart. And so you and I would never take it out of there, but we'll keep, we'll withhold what's his. Same thing. And we do it because we're selfish. We do it because we have a plan. We have an investment portfolio. We have an account that we're building to build a house. We have this, we have this, we have this. And we explain to God, no, this is how I manage my finances. This is how I do this because this, this, these are my plans. This is what I'm doing, you know. Sign off. And here's the deal. You can keep doing that. But you're essentially locking the door to any kind of supernatural breakthrough, miraculous, crazy, amazing stuff happening in your world. Because you've determined the parameters of your life are self-made, and I got this. I'm going to do this my way. So how can we be a generous people? I've touched on money. We'll go back there in just a minute. I want to talk to you about a couple areas of our life that I think the enemy is on the prowl to keep us selfish with, all right? The first area is time. Time. The society and the culture that we live in, even at me at 40, is incredibly different than when I was 10. In 30 years, it's drastically different, right? No cell phones, the streaming, the YouTube, all the things. Very different for my 10-year-old boy than when I was 10. And this pace that we're living in has changed dramatically. It's a very different pace. And if you live in the pace that we lived in 30 years ago, like you're frowned upon, you're looked on, even as lazy, you know? And so we've adjusted. We've, we've changed our pace. 
you know, we, we don't just work nine to five. We, we're working all the time because it's in the palm of our hand. And I want to suggest to you that time cost us something when we don't manage it right. And it cost us relationships. First relationship it cost us is obviously the Lord. Because we don't have time to read his word. We don't have time to pray. We can't steal away for 30 minutes. That would be unheard of. I don't have a 30-minute window. Because this new pace, this new technology 2023, it's crazy. I'm thinking Jesus has got to be coming back soon. It cost us a relationship with him because we're so crazy busy. I can't tell you how many parents and families I talk to that don't do dinner around the table. Their interaction is like this, you know? We got work, we come home, then we go to this practice, and we go to this meeting, and we go to this, and we go to this, and we go to this, and we go to this. And so how we're stewarding our time, building our own kingdom, and I dare say, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but some of the things that we invest so much time in are absolutely fruitless in the eternal realm of things. You know, like you just, you spend hours and hours and hours for your kid to go play this sport or go do this or for you to build this or whatever. And it's like, does this have any impact on eternity? Maybe that's harsh and unkind, but I, I just don't understand it. And the fruit of it isn't very great either because your marriage doesn't look so great. Your families, you know, your kids, you're not connected but boy, you're making your practices and you're getting to your meetings and it's like, oh. How do I be generous with my time? I mean, I am, I'm spreading it out all over the place. <laughs> I mean time invested in the kingdom, in him first, not you first and him leftovers. Because I think that's how a lot of us do it. He gets leftovers. Spouses get leftovers. Kids get leftovers. The evidence of it is surely in our statistics. Because 50 years ago, our divorce rate inside the church was 6%, and now it's the same as the world's. So we're not doing something right. This leadership burns. We ache for wholeness in the body. We have absolutely zero desire for you to come in, check the box, smile at everybody as you come in, as you go, and to leave and nothing change. Not, not interested. We want wholeness. Because Jesus paid a really, really high price for you to have it. Wholeness in your relationships, wholeness in your finances, wholeness in your businesses, wholeness in every area of your life. The enemy is after filling our time. He wants your time. If you don't believe me, 
pick up your phone. This thing dings and flashes and I don't even know half the people that I get notifications from. Like, that's great. Susie's made a boast. I mean, Susie always gets the brunt of it. She's not here. Uh, Jackson made a post. You know, like this thing, and you and I might be better about it. I mean, I don't know that we're any better about it, but I'm going to tell you who, who lives on it, our kids. I wonder if our kids will be able to awkwardly sit at a table on a date one day and fumble through their words like you and I did. I wonder if they'll have to deal with the wrestling, sitting and looking across the eyes at someone they may or may not come into covenant with. I wonder if they'll ever really even get to know them because of this stupid thing right here. I wonder if they'll know what it's like to go on a honeymoon and just turn the radio up, lay their head down in their spouse's lap while they drive 75 miles an hour and talk about stories and memories and laugh their heads off. Or will they be watching someone else live or do something stupid for 20 seconds for a laugh? The enemy wants your time. And he wants your kids' time. Will they know a God of supernatural breakthrough? Will they ever even wake up from the sleep of having this in their hand to realize my life is depraved and empty and I don't have purpose and I need to know a God intimately? Or will they be so asleep on this stupid phone? If you've got children in your house, wake up. Set downtime. Manage their screen time. Don't tighten the noose the enemy has put around their neck by just being oblivious to the fact that the enemy is literally filling their hours and their days with ridiculousness. And don't tell me, well, they don't understand the word or they can't memorize the word. They understand everything that comes down the pipe into their hand. And it's worth nothing in eternity. Nothing. I get so agitated when my kids come to me. They're like, I watched this YouTube video and I'm like, oh my. Please tell me something else. Tell me about a conversation you had with your friend. Well, I mean, uh, you know what? They have the option. If I don't like the five people sitting around me, that's the most selfish, self-centered, self-serving. It's the easiest thing ever for them to just, I don't really care for your company or your company. You annoy me. I don't really like you. So I'll just... Check out. We do it too. It's the enemy. Selfishness is the enemy of what God's trying to get to you and to your kids. And listen, I know because they kick and scream at my house and I say, nope, nope, not giving you more screen time. 
you know? I'm highly considering shrinking the time they have down. Because I want them to fumble through their words and look awkwardly into the eyes of other people. I had to do it. Bless God, they should have to do it too. It's real life. It's real life. You know? You should be caught picking noses and like adjusting your pants because you're not just on your phone. Like you should have the awkward moments. It develops character in you. You know? I never forget this. I mean, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. I'm in third grade and I had to sneeze and I did. And things came out of my nose all over my shirt. Now, in today's society, no one would see that because they'd be on their phones. But I had to deal with that, you know? But my friend next to me, she saw it, and we laughed till we couldn't breathe because it was hysterical, you know? We had a moment. Our kids aren't having no moments. They're laughing about some Joe Blow in California who on purpose, did something stupid and then said, oh, it was an accident, you know. Oh! We need to steward our time. It's priceless. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I lose 20 bucks or I lose two hours, I'd rather lose the 20 bucks because I can't get my two hours back and I needed my two hours. And I'm annoyed that I lost two hours. 20 bucks, I can make another 20 bucks. I'll figure that out. But two hours, oh my God, needed that two hours. Time is priceless. How are you stewarding it? Are you generous with it for the kingdom of God? Do you have time to give your life to kingdom purpose? Or are you so busy in the kingdom of Babylon building your own wealth that Matthew says will be rusted and destroyed and eat up. Don't believe me? Go look at the house, six houses down that's been abandoned for six months, that someone spent all their time and all their energy in buying it, and now it's evicted, and it's corroding and falling in and dilapidated, and that was somebody's stockpile. That was somebody's 40 years of 40 hours, and it's not eternal. Our lives are supposed to count and matter for something more than what we're building down here. Let's read Matthew chapter 6. And I have got to hurry. All right. Matthew 6, 19. I'm going to read from the Passion. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. I think for time's sake, I'm going to Rush on to verse 33. Above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all the less important things will be given to you 
Not just given to you, given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. You know how much of our time we waste worrying. You just hand it over. When if you knew truth, if you learned to settle into confident rest, knowing that you're a son and a daughter of a God who's got it, you're breathing because he's got it, you'd have more time to invest in rehearsing kingdom stuff, being with your kids. You'd be present. You'd be engaged. Your mind wouldn't be worried about the 40 other things that your worry is absolutely not adding to the value of. That's time. Let's talk about your treasure. In every culture, in every language, I was supposed to have a $100 bill in my hand, and I don't. I left it at home. So I need to get that. Can, you got money? Come on. Yes. If I forget to give it back, it's because I'm selfish. <laughs> All right? Listen, in every language, in every culture, this stuff defines who we are. Defines the kind of car you can drive. Defines the kind of home you can afford. Defines what kind of clothes you can buy. It literally defines how you live, right? This stuff. No wonder we're so selfish with it, right? Or do you and I live by another principle? I don't want to limit myself to what I can earn. I'm actually a hopeless case. With nine kids, I am hopeless if I live on what I can earn. It's devastating if that is my reality. My brother uh, pretty, does pretty well for himself. He's a physician's assistant. And, um, you know, when you, when you struggle financially and you get around people that are doing okay, there's a a little bit of an intimidation factor, you know, or shame even, you know. This stuff, defining who we are again. He laughs and says to me, I, I literally don't know how you afford nine kids. And I say, well, I don't either. I actually can't. I can't do it, but I don't have to. I'll never forget, we had the six at the time we were struggling. Oh my gosh, we were struggling. And I was up on stage ministering at something and this precious lady, her name was Prophetess Joy. There's just nobody like Prophetess Joy. Probably weighed 400 pounds, couldn't walk, you know, big, boomy voice. You know, and, and just the woman, it's like she had a direct line to the Lord, you know. She'd call you at 2.30 in the morning and say, thus says the Lord, and you were like, you know. I promise. 
And um, this was our first encounter with her. We were in the back, or my kids and Michael were in the back. He had all six, you know, like little ducks on a row back there. And I'm up leading, and she does not know that he is my husband. So she approaches him to, to speak to him, and she's like, I normally would not speak to you if your wife weren't present. Obviously, you have a wife, you have all these kids, but I don't know who your wife is. And he was like, well, your, your wife, my wife's on stage. And she was like, oh, well, we won't wait on her then. And uh, she says, uh, the Lord says he's about to immerse you in provision. And he was like, amen, you know. Who doesn't want that word, Right? She said, the Lord says he's about to immerse you in provision. And she said, I don't have much, but I got a $20 bill. She said, I want to give you this $20 as a down payment. But the Lord says he'll confirm this word in the next seven days. And I, you know, I'm hearing about this after the fact. And so I'm thinking seven days. Okay. (laughs) This is the fastest turnaround I've ever seen. You know, seven years we've been like, Scraping the bucket. Anyway, so we go to this service, and um, there was a lady there that I knew at, from a distance. I knew she was wealthy. I, I didn't know till much later that she was a billionaire, but um, I knew she was wealthy. I mean, her purse and rings let me know she was wealthy. Uh, by the way, you know what we do when we want to excuse ourselves from looking inside of our own heart and our own heart posture. And we say, well, if I had more, I'd give more. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It's just an excuse for you to not look at your own selfishness. It's easy to look and go, well, if I had that, I would give more. They got more because they give more. And I'll tell you that story in a minute. But anyway, so we're in this service. This lady walks up to me. She hands Michael a check. She hands me a check. And if you've heard the story, forgive my, forgive our repetition. Back, I'm going to backpedal. Prophetess Joy said, I'm about to immerse you in provision. And she said, at the time we had six kids, right? And she said, the Lord says that if he has to plant a money tree in your backyard, a tree for each one to provide for their school, their cars, their clothes, all the things that you're worried about not being able to provide, he says he'll do it. That was really good news. I mean, really good news. Fast forward, three days later, she said within seven days, this lady comes up, hands Michael a check, hands me a check, a total of $26,000. And for about three minutes, I was really fired up. Because I was like, this is a lot of money. Never seen this kind of money on a check before, especially with my name on it. You know? And then I had this overwhelming sense of, oh, crap. I don't get to keep this. (laughs) You know why? Because I don't need $26,000. I need $2.6 million for what's in my heart. And I didn't have any seed. I mean, I had little pockets of seed. But seeds reproduce after their own kind. And so God gave me a seed with more zeros in it. So that I could produce seeds and trees of that kind. 
So within about three minutes of the check and the, you know, of me and Michael, we knew this is seed. This isn't bread. You know, Judas Iscariot, when he watched Mary give 300 denarii or a year's wage of oil on the feet of Jesus, $26,000 a year's wage. He said, ah, we should have sold that and spent it on the poor. See, selfishness and inward focus will cause you to disregard the extravagance and generosity of others. Because it excuses you from being generous. And we know Judas didn't care about the poor. He was taking from his own money pot inside the, the ministry. He wasn't super generous. He was a thief. Let me tell you another story and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Here's the deal. When God, when God wants to give you a generous heart, the enemy wants to give you a grieving heart. He wants you to grieve and be afraid because you think you're about to lose something. When nothing could be further from the truth. What happens to us when we're born again, not only does God give us a generous heart, he gives us a grateful heart. And I understand everything I have comes from him and nothing that comes to me comes without his mercy and his kindness and his goodness that's chasing me down and following me. So why in the world wouldn't I release back to the one who gave, right? Instead of being grateful, the enemy wants you to be greedy. So I I love uh, Robert Morris from Gateway. Um, He's a phenomenal teacher, phenomenal, phenomenal teacher. And he he teaches about uh, so much of this stuff, probably... Um, I think once a year, maybe twice a year, um, he just rehearses this with his people. And um, they're literally all over the world. They, their church gives $20 million alone to missions. And so, you know, as leader and uh, Michael and I, shepherd of this house, this mission and vision we have that is not a two twenty-six thousand dollars vision, or I'm learning, not really even a $2.6 million vision. It could be a $2.6 billion vision for the things that are in our heart that we want to do. We don't get there without giving. We don't get there without the spirit of generosity hitting the hearts and minds of the people that we're in covenant with, that we're in partnership with. So I've, I've sat under this man's teaching because number one, he's phenomenal. Number two, he's anointed to do it, and he is doing it. So he has an elder there about, um, they've been with him from the beginning of the church. And the the elder uh, is a businessman. And for the first 15 years of his business, this one elder in the church gave 50% of his income to the Lord. 50%. And of course, this elder sits under the teaching of Robert Morris, who's all about giving and ridiculous extravagant generosity. Did you know that David, by the way, King David, 
is said to have given $21 billion in our day's economy to the building of the temple. Did you know that Jesus noted, however, the widow's might, who had a far less amount than $21 billion, but the posture of her heart was the same? Anyway, this man gives 50% of his giving, of, of his income to the Lord. And he sits under Robert Morris's teaching, so he is aware there's this constant voice in the back of his head, what if God asked me to give it all like he asked Robert Morris to give it all, you know? So one day he's in his quiet time with the Lord and he just has these thoughts of, man, I'm just gonna see what's in my checking. And he gets the number. I'm gonna see what's in my savings. Gets the number, adds it together. Mm, I'm gonna see what's in my uh, investments. Looks at that number. I'm gonna see what's in my retirement. I, I don't have that many accounts, but how exciting. And so he adds the numbers together, large number, millions. Goes to bed, gets up the next morning, the Holy Spirit says to him, hey, how much money do you have? And he said, well, what do you mean, Lord? Like, in my wallet? Like, in which account? What are you referring to? You know? And he said, the Lord said, you know what I mean. How much money do you have? And he told him to the dollar and to the cent. And the Lord said, would you give it to me? He said the first thought he had was grief, fear. But God, if I give this all away, what will I do? You know? He said then the second thought he had was joy. Because he thought to himself, you must not ask a lot of people to do this. You have my yes. And him and his wife gave it all away. 18 months later, 18 months later, every account, all four accounts, double what was in them when he gave it away. The Lord has not done that since, and he had not done that before. But the Lord said to him, I want you to know that I can do in a calendar year what it took you 15 to do. And I could have done it in a day. God's not asking you to give your time or your treasure to take stuff from you. He's trying to open the double doors of redemption to the things you have begged and cried out for. The things that you say, this is impossible. I can't do this on my own. He's saying, there's a way to get it. He who loses his life will find it. Don't build a house down here, build a house up here. You're just passing through here. This is the smallest portion of your life because when you accepted Jesus, you took on eternity. You're living eternity now. You're gonna change bodies, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. But you are living in eternity now. So start investing in eternity now. Amen? I am two minutes over. Let me just say this. The anointing of Michael has come upon me. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of all giving because God loves, say it with me, a 
a cheerful giver, right? You know that. That word is actually um, better translated hilarious. And hilarious in the original language, language, hilaros means one over and inclined. It means to properly dispose because you're satisfied. That's a hilarious giver. It's not a, here's my money. It's I'm satisfied. It's my honor. It's my privilege to return to you what you've given to me. It's an understanding that you're, you've won me over. My heart is yours. Everything I have is yours. Amen. Let's stand to your feet this morning. Prayer team, won't you come on down here? Be ready to just agree with anybody that has any needs in the building. Let me just pray over us this morning. God, would you forgive us for being selfish and greedy? And God, we receive the nature of our spirit man, of the Holy Spirit, to be generous, to be grateful, and to invest our time and our treasure into eternity to what matters, into what counts. God, would you help us to steward our children with an eternal mindset, with kingdom purpose in mind? Would you help us to steward everything in our hands, understanding that we're living for a moment bigger than right now, and that redemption and breakthrough and the miraculous is on the other side of us releasing what's in our hands? Would you do that in Jesus' name? So be it. Amen. Kiss people on the way out. Give them a hug. If you need prayer, the prayer team's up here to agree with you. If not, we love you and we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Redemption Life Church.